What's up, y'all? I'm Otio. And I'm Mike. And we are on Patreon. Get on the bus, you guys. Get your bus pass. We put out an additional episode every week where we answer questions from you. Or sometimes we may just get off on a tangent about something important or cool that happened that day or a couple days ago yeah it's Otil and i catching up and you are invited so if you head to patreon.com slash comes a time pod uh you can join us uh you can get the bus pass we have some incredible merch coming soon uh we've got a lot of great surprises so uh we would love to have you guys head on over yes most of all we want to connect with you so uh get on the bus y'all Welcome back to Comes a Time. Uh, this is Mike. I'm Otiel. How you guys doing? We got a good one for you today. Legendary booking agent in the music business, Johnny Podell. He was the Allman Brothers' first and pretty much only booking agent for their entire career, 40 plus years. And uh, what did he say his first four groups were? It was... Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, Crosby, Stills, Nash. George Harrison. And the Allman Brothers. Brothers. I, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> – I don't even know what to say to that. The first four, the first four bands you signed. That's how you start? Jesus. And you want to know something? We didn't talk a single second about him working with the Allman Brothers, guys. So that's this is right. one of those – it's amazing. This is, you know, I, it's a double-edged sword having a podcast where you want to be like, you know, let's keep them around an hour. I don't want to be doing these, you know, long, rather have them come back, keep them short, fresh little pops, you know? But then it's like he started in like the autumn of his existence. Yeah. And now I want to go back to the, to the spring, you know? <laughs> he works his way back a little bit. So that was wild, man. Stuff and oh, just such a great storyteller. And uh, you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have him on uh, was because there's so many themes uh, in his life, especially where he's at right now, that are things that we deal with. You know, mm-hmm. trying to silence the critic, common sense, mental health, addiction, vulnerability, vulnerability. You know, be uh spirituality, yeah. uh, awakenings, all these things. And, and so, uh, yeah, we just hit the ground running. It was, sure it was another one of those podcasts. It was like, oh, we were talking before. It was like, okay, Johnny, stop right there. Let's record. <laughs> Let's record. And uh, wow. Yeah. They just keep getting better. It's like, how do you <laughs> Sometimes I forget that we're only on like the 12th, 13th, whatever it is, episode. I mean, it's kind of insane how – uh, everybody it's to me it's a success when people go we got when the guest after we stop recording goes we got to do this again so yeah. we got a long list you're gonna love this it's i believe i mean i met him today as some of you listeners are and i think we just met the tip of an incredibly interesting iceberg so with a cool hat too for the viewers so oh, enjoy um and as always guys we love you we wouldn't be able to do this without you thank you so much uh Thank you to Osiris Network for having us as a part of the great family of Osiris podcasts. We're over on Patreon uh, where Otil and I record a bonus episode every week for the bus riders. And if you were over there, you'd know what that meant. So get on the bus. Go to patreon.com slash comes a time pod. Um, and uh, 
review, share, like, listen. Uh, we love you guys. Be safe. And uh, enjoy Johnny, everyone. Peace. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, no, thank you for having me. It wasn't so long ago that nobody was, so I'm very grateful. <laughs> so you asked, you know, how old's my son? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son, but I also have a, uh, a 39-year-old son. You may know him, DJ Cassidy. I have a huh. 42-year-old daughter. I have a 13-year-old grandson who's Zoom mitzvah. I attended two months ago <laughs> and a 10 year old granddaughter. And when my little boy, his name is Joaquin, when he was new, you have to remember the ages and the mechanics. It's not the traditional uh, family circle. So just before, and my other family, ex-wife, daughter, grandchildren, my son, a little cooler, accepted things. So we're at my grandson's, I think, 10th birthday at a Benihana's. And I know my daughter is seething about my wife, who's younger than her. And I go, so, uh, and, and my kids, you know, coolness usually skips the generation because my dad was extremely conservative. I became the rebel. My kids, even though one is in the music business, became extreme. They have never, my son stays up all night. He's a DJ, travels 250 nights here, has never had a drink, a drug, a cigarette, wow. or an aspirin. And both parents recovering drug addicts. So wow. every morning I get up and go, I love you, God. Thank you so much. But anyway, so picture Benny Hanna, you know, the hibachi stole and all the action. And I look at my grandson, who's very conservative. And I say, so Hudson, what do you think? Grandpa's having a baby. He looks at me with death eyes and goes, very weird. <laughs> but no smile. No, sorry, Grandpa. So I, I let that sink in, and uh, after the rice serving, I look at Zoe, and I say, so Zoe, what do you think? Grandpa's having a baby. Zoe's precocious. You can't see this, so just. <laughs> he goes, wait, 
I'm going to have a baby uncle. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough to figure out. And now my uh, grandson and granddaughter are getting, you know, they're, they're like little adults, 13 and 10. My daughter, whose name is Brittany, still hasn't accepted my whole situation. And uh, so I noticed the other day, but I mean, we're all civil. It just hasn't melded the way you would want. And uh, I'm over at Brittany's house. Grandchildren are there. I, I'm with Joaquin. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, Hudson goes, the conservative one. I forget the dialogue. And all of a sudden, he goes, to my daughter, if you can follow this, you Mom, listen to your brother. Her brother's three. She goes, Mom, <laughs> listen to your brother. My daughter trying is exasperated, but trying, you know, that phony smile like this. And then my granddaughter goes, Yeah, you should listen to your brother, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh, officially, welcome to the world I live in. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Perfectly imperfect. That is awesome. If Woody Allen, if Woody Allen was knew this, he'd be here with his director's chair right now, and oh, the camera would be rolling. That's awesome. <laughs> this is immaculately imperfect. <laughs> that's so cool, though. It's got to be neat to have like that many different personalities, and everywhere you turn, you got different at different levels and phases of like growth. That's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah. I think for me, what's the most awesome is when my children were little, you know, I was uh, like a lot of guys, you know, in their 30s trying to set the world on fire. My case, you know, in the business hotels and the music business. And in my case, trying to set myself on fire with drugs. And uh, I don't have to tell you at the end which fire won. Um, And so I wasn't so present like I am now. I am so, I had an awakening in 2012, an awakening to those who haven't been awakened, but I'm sure they are if they're listening, is just becoming aware, aware every second of every day. And I wasn't. And now I am every second. I've watched every pore open up, every discovery. I remember when he was little, I'd flash a flashlight, you know, until, you know, you try to like be the clown. You are a clown anyway. And so am I, but, and uh, I would do the flashlight flash. No response. No response. No response. Then a year later, all of a sudden he goes, ah! <laughs> so I watched every discovery, the big words, you know, a word recently is he has a great vocabulary. The word recently that he's most proud of is, because I told him me and my dad, who's not with us anymore, used to have a contest who knew bigger words because my dad was a bookworm. And so that was all little. The New York Yankees and who knows bigger words. So my son has latched on. You're going to laugh about this because obviously I've mentioned my drug history. His favorite word, seven syllables, is now rehabilitation. (laughs) (laughs) that's great so his nana in ohio on zoom said joaquin but do you know what rehabilitation means he goes yes when somebody's naughty or not nice they go to a place get rehabilitated so when they come out they're nice wow (laughs) and how old is he again three and a half but i think that's it at all my so, God. Yeah. So being, being, 
being present every second, every moment is um, a magic experience that I think most men don't have even without the drugs. You're just busy, you know, out there trying to make a living, bring home the buck on tour, whatever, and the wife. And so I'm home trying to figure out my next move in the world of business. And, um, but I'm home. I'm home. So even when right now you're talking to me in my office upstairs, but I go down, you know, for lunch and then it's like, and you know, I must cry three times a week. I just sit there and I go. I do that too. There's so many miraculous things. And, I, and I've been really lucky to be home for pretty much all of them. Like first steps. You know, I remember I was sleeping up at the old house and I heard all this screaming. It was Jess and uh, an old babysitter that we had to help us out. We were not getting any sleep. The baby had just come home. And uh, I heard all this screaming. I'm passed out because, you know, I've been sleep deprived too. So I jump out of bed, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, no, Nigel fell or whatever, you know. And I get down there and I see they're all laughing and going, yay, yay. And he was taking his first steps, you know. And I've just, for so many firsts, first dada, first mama, first when he started treading water the first time. You know, you get, you just watching their little computers boot up. No, the computer. It's just like. Uh, yeah, it's uh, wild. And then, and then what'd you, what'd you have experienced the other day, Otil? He counted to 20 oh. in Mandarin. Dude, get this, Johnny. <laughs> We're sitting at the table. And he starts going, eat, she, but, I don't even know what's going on. He's counting in Mandarin, you know. And uh, he gets to this one number. He's like, Li Xiao. And I was like, wait a minute. And then, so I start, like, keeping track of how many numbers. He gets all the way to 20, man. Now, I'm not sure he was totally right, but I'm pretty friggin' sure he was right, man. Like, which, proves, which proves my point, brains skip a generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Never ending, too, and I, I think so it's never going to stop, really, you know. By the way, I just want to bookmark what you were saying. I love both of your energy. Like, it's such a pleasure right now for me to be here with you. Like, I, you know, Othiel, I know you and expected it. But Mike, really, what a pleasure. Like, yeah. oh, dude, uh, it's an honor. And thank you. Yeah, this is, we've, we've kept each other afloat during this uh, pandemic. We both yeah. had to e-break our careers and kind of reassess what the hell's going on. And yeah. thank you. It's awesome to have you here. From the second, that's the neat thing that we're doing is these conversations we're having, we're, we're doing it over on a laptop. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we were sitting in a room, nothing can ever match that energy but we've seemed to be getting very close with this oh, yeah, yeah. as far as i'm concerned you are today thanks man that's <laughs> super cool yeah it's uh, been fun man there's, there's so many things that just align with us you know when uh because johnny and i kind of keep semi track of each other on instagram really we see how the kids are doing see right. you know and i was just like oh man we gotta get him on because of all your rock and roll history but also you know, a lot of our thing is like mental health. Uh, we talk about addiction as a, you know, connected to that. Um, a lot of just consciousness. I know like, you know, uh, Mike had an awakening like I did. And that was really the basis of us wanting to do a, a podcast together. I was like, oh, what happened to him is like a different version of ex almost exactly what happened to me. You know, when you have that thing happen, there's just like before and after it. Before and after. 
before and, uh, that's really why I wanted to get you on. I mean, we could talk about all the famous people, you know, and all the, I mean, more salacious rock and roll stories than you could probably even tell on here, you know, but it's really that going from the old life to the new, that's what turns me on. You know, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. You know, I got stuck trying to write a book a few years ago. I just got stuck. And um, unlike what you would think, I went to one publisher, it wasn't done yet. She turned me down for a reason. And you would think the Johnny you know would go knock on 20 more doors. I kind of sulked and said, oh, yeah. I got it. Somebody said, why don't you talk your book and just start giving a series of talks? And I did it. In the East Village, I did one a month. So fun, so great, well received. And now, wait, why am I telling you this story? I go off on tracks, and then <laughs> your job in this may be to keep me back on track. Yeah, I think because Otil was saying about like before and after. Oh, like the, oh, like, oh, yeah, I'm good at this part. This and is my so, job here. And you have a zillion stories, but you know what? I don't really care about those stories. That was my past. They're fun. I get it. That's what the people want. So in the marketing of my talks, it would always be a picture of me and Jimmy Page or a this picture or a that. But my mentor and one of the three most important mentors of men in my life, it was uh, my dad, Muhammad Ali, and this guy, Bill Graham, who actually created the zillion dollar highly professional business of rock and roll that we now enjoy and bill said to me once and you'll love this and mike i said bill i don't understand we were new in our relationship and i was a young punk agent and he was bill graham and i said i don't understand why you put dizzy gillespie to open for the rolling stones <laughs> like hey they don't need anybody and i don't get the match or lionel hampton with the who and in bill's very dramatic fashion he leans in puts the glasses on the end of the nose, he goes, you got to give them the steak and then you make them eat the vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I only want to talk about what you're saying post my awakening. I'll give them the steak. You want a couple of stories? So there was the night with David Bowie when I went to him and I threw, all up, threw up all over him. Yes, and the next day he wrote, ch -ch 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 changes, which you make right. <laughs> Yes, that was that. But that was then, and this is now. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, you didn't know that one, did you? No, I didn't know I that one. I think we both should good. hear it. I it's, mean, come on. I'm going to do the same thing with this podcast. It'll be like, he was the agent for George Harrison, the Allman yeah, Brothers. Yeah. On the podcast no, you got to give him the stage. <laughs> you got to bring him to the watering hole, and then you, make, then you have him drink the high protein water so let's go <laughs> we got i mean that's that's a tease and a half right there jesus but it's great though because to me like you know when i think especially a person like you you have many lives you know what i mean well and uh i the the life that i know now the smile now you know what i mean like that's the i have this feeling like whether uh or this reinterpretation of the phrase uh nice guys finish last to me i look at it like a positive like you know you outlived everyone you know you're old you're 100 years old you're super happy you're smiling like this all your enemies have died it's like i win nice guys finish last. you know that's why i'm kind of i i 
I'm really interested to hear like the more like the story of your awakening, you know, what you're doing now. Like I know you were giving those talks and stuff and how you're like passing on this thing to help people get over or get to their awakening. Okay. So can I give you the, 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 it's hard for me to give the quick story because I love my awakening story, but here you go. <laughs> so I had relapsed um, from a simple surgery, the days of cocaine and heroin and all that was thir- more than three decades behind me. Surgery, begged the doctor. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a prescription for Percocet today. I said, wait, stop, doctor. What part of my life story haven't you heard? I said, you don't give me a prescription of anything. I said, no, no, no. I said, listen, you give it to me now. Surgery's in two weeks. It'll talk to me tonight. I'll cash it tomorrow. It'll be gone the day after. And, and the nightmare, to quote Alice Cooper, it will be welcome to my nightmare. Again, I can never have that happen. My bottom is very dramatic. It was chronicled in a magazine. It's a big story. And uh, I could never, and it didn't even do justice to the pain. The guy insists that I take, I take him. Within six months, I'm, take, I'm home taking 250 extra strains Vicodin a week. I weigh 130 pounds on a night when I'm wearing a winter coat. <laughs> so on that frame, I'm, where I'm home. I'm paranoid because it was like, you know, that's called, what I was doing was called doctor shopping, which had just been declared a felony. 12 doctors, 13 prescriptions, 14 pharmacies. And I was losing touch with reality. I I still had a business, had very loyal clients, and I had amazing and very loyal staff. I was good for one phone call a day. I get up. But so paranoid, locked in a, I lived in a, an apartment, a high rise. They had a doorman, a concierge, and I had two locks on my door. I'd get up to go to the bathroom, which was about 10 feet away, and I'd feel the cops behind me ready to go. Got you. Sounds crazy. It was real to me. Mm-hmm. You know, every second I would go to another room in the house, I knew. I Anyway, I... um. I was so, so, so paranoid and psychotic. So I said I was good for one phone call a day, meaning I'd get up, I'd walk to the kitchen where I have my vitamins and my vitamins, and I'd take a handful of these pills to get even. Alcoholics use that expression, to get even. You you wake up, you're in withdrawal, and you just got to get even. Mm. And then I knew I'd be good for one call. So we had a very important client named Peter Gabriel. At the time, at one time, he was my biggest money earner by far. And so I'd wait for the pills to kick in, 20 minutes, and then I'd call. Hi. Hi. So-and-so, hi. I said, it's Johnny. But hi, Johnny. How are you? I said, oh, I'm amazing. I said, is Peter around? She goes, you know what, Johnny? He is, but he's in a meeting. Can he call you back in an hour? And I go, I am fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Different guy in an hour. From that, no, no, no. From that, from that getting even, I'm going downhill. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the day, can't answer the phone. Paranoid, nobody's calling me. But if somebody calls me, I can't pick it up. Anyway, I finally decide one day I'm going to make the big jump. I've been home for three months, lying to my kids. Dad, you don't sound good. No, I'm just tired. Uh, Dad, you don't really sound good. Well, you know, I just broke up with someone's up. They knew, but you know, it's painful for a child, even when you know, to have somebody admit it. I thought. 
their hero. One of my weaknesses, I want to be everybody's hero. I just met you, Mike. If ever I can be, no, it's an insecurity, I guess. I want to be everybody's hero. So I start to get ready to leave the house. I get up. I'm paranoid. Starbucks was across the street, but a very narrow street. Maybe the street was 20 feet wide, setting the stage for you. So I get up. By the way, I never wear socks. It's one of those habits. I don't wear socks. I don't wear underwear. So I go to put my shoes on without socks. And I remember going, oh, wait, I'm going to be in the tombs or Rikers this afternoon. I don't want to walk on that floor in my bare feet. And I always, when I tell the story, I laugh. Most people get dressed for style or for weather. I get dressed because I know I'm getting arrested and I'm going to spend the night downtown. So I start to go out of the house, again, feeling every, imagine you felt the devil in your house and you were alone. The devil was my loss of freedom. That's my boogeyman. That's, my wife is drowning. Mine is a loss of freedom. And I go to leave and I know they're outside the door. So I'm trying to remember all my law and orders, you know, to keep myself to keep the light shining, I would watch six episodes of Law and Order from yeah. 12 to 6. I would finish. I'd close the show with what's the one with the uh, depraved children's, uh, you know, the seat. Not SVU. SVU. You yeah. know, to, to have a big finish of light, I would finish with SVU. You know, they always say, what? So I thought the way in every Law and Order, if I open the door and they're there, and they say, can I come in? I can say no. And they can't. But if I say yes, they can bust me unless they want. So I'm getting ready. I'm going. And I start to leave. And I go, and you have no idea. I'm sweating. My body's so tense. And I go, what am I going to do? Oh, wait. I got to hide the pills. They're waiting outside. They're going to come upstairs, hide the pills. So I go, I figure, let me cut a hole in the lining of one of my leather jackets. I go into the closet because the, the 250 pills was in like a, a plastic baggie. And I go to cut a hole in my leather jacket. But there's already a hole in the pocket. Oh my <laughs> I proceed to go to cut a hole in every jacket. That's the madness. I didn't even remember doing that. I must have done this a million times. Wow. So finally I get up and I have a big, fat, ugly cookie jar. It's about 12 feet high. I climb up a ladder. I put it in there. I go. I'm finally going to go out. And then I go, first place they're going to look is in a cookie jar. So I go there. <laughs> It took me three hours to get out of the house. I walked downstairs. I know they're waiting. I know they're waiting. I know they're waiting. I know they're waiting. Oh, shit. I take a deep breath. I look outside, and the first person I see has a beard and a beanie. And I go, oh, my God, Serpico, I'm busted. <laughs> I run upstairs. I didn't leave my house again for three months. Oh, oh fuck. Serpico. <laughs> You're my hero, dude. You did it. Oh, anyway, <laughs> uh, my children intervened, and uh, it was so always wait, 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 wait. Six. So, so you were in the house for three months leading up to that point. You said right, two or three months at least. And then you tried to go across the street to get a coffee, and then that put you back in the house for another three months. So now yeah. we're at about six months in the house. Yeah. Oh man. You know, it may have been more. Where was I going? So people would come to you, like you. You just oh, you need to get pills. the stuff. Yeah. No, right. no, no, no. Sorry, it's been a while. Thank God. Um, no, I would only go uh, to the different pharmacies. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, you know, I would notice they have little cameras. So I'd walk into the pharmacy like this. I'd stand all the way back, and I go, 
hi, uh, tell the farmer, say hi. He goes, Johnny, why don't you come up? I said, no, it's okay, because I see the camera there. I said, you know, I just need a refill on my, you know, you know. <laughs> Reading the People magazine as you walk by. Yeah, you just adapt to that existence, huh? Holy shit, man. So your, your family intervened. So my family intervenes, and, and, and even that was magical. My son had stopped talking to me. Now, my son and I talked six times a day. I'm going to cry even now. And uh, he had stopped talking to me. I'm guessing a therapist or some professional said, you're enabling him. He loves you more than oxygen. You got to just cut it off, let go with love. But it killed me every day. My daughter would pick it up and she'd go, what? So, and she'd always put me on the defensive. Dad, you don't sound good. You're so this day I figured I'll put her on the defensive just to take the focus off me. And I go, uh, she goes, hi, Dad. I said, but what is up with this brother of yours? He doesn't even pick up my call. <laughs> you know, distraction. Yeah. And here was the moment of grace. She goes, Dad, he thinks you're lying. I burst out crying and I said, I am lying. I have been lying for two and a half years since the surgery. I'm so, so sorry. All the anger goes away and all I could feel was love. And she goes, Dad, call Cassidy right now. Now, if you don't believe in grace, why did he pick up the phone? Mm. First time in months. And he says, hi, Dad. I said, Cass, I just got up with Brittany. Oh, I said, don't hang up. Give me 30 seconds. I just got over to Brittany, and I know you know, but I've been lying to everybody, AA, my friends, you. I'm so, so sorry. And he also, he said, Dad, I love you. Thank you. Get ready. I know just where you're going. Uh -huh. He had, he had uh, DJed uh, a gala at a very nice rehab in Connecticut. And off we went. I walked up the steps two days later. I felt like I was 95. So I'm like, whatever you think of me, now my energy... Like, I was a 95-year-old man. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I knew I could get sober because they lock you up. And I had been to several rehabs earlier. And um, I was pretty sure I could stay sober. I had. But I knew this Johnny that you're meeting. God. It was going to be like, hi, Johnny. It's uh, Mike Finola. I'm in town. What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> oh, taking Zoe to putt-putt. And you go, yeah, but what else are you doing? I go, I don't know, maybe watch a little CNN. And I hated the thought that that would be, but I knew I owed it to my children and my legacy. So I was prepared to live that life. The first week, a guy comes in and says, hi, I'm Al. I'm a volunteer. I want to teach you guys to meditate. That was it. But I'll tell you the moment. There was only three of us in the unit. It was called the chronic pain and addiction unit. Some people have chronic pain, take pills, become an addict. Some addicts, it works the opposite way and it just goes back and forth. So it's a dual addiction. It's tricky. It's really tricky if you're a dual addiction like me lying about the pain, making it up only to get the pill. <laughs> that's, a, that's a triple trifecta. <laughs> they don't have a unit yet for that. <laughs> anyway, on the third day, the guy goes, you know, he teaches us, breathe in, breathe out. Third day, he goes, go to a place you love, and I'll try to speed this up. I'm immediately at my favorite beach. It happens to be in the Caribbean in St. Bart's. My favorite time of day, not high noon where it's so hot, 3 o'clock, sun's not on the water's edge. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure your viewers have been there. 
leaning on your elbows, half in the water, half in the sand, right? Looking out at the horizon, right? Yeah. This day was different. I didn't have a thought or a care in the world. And I'm just sitting there in my vision, in the rehab. All of a sudden, a woman, the water breaks, and a woman starts to walk out. And she slowly gets to shore. She doesn't say anything. She sits to my immediately le- immediate left, assumes the same position, <laughs> watching, and nobody speaks. So about two and a half hours go by, I knew, because I saw the sun setting out of the corner of my eye. I'm getting ready to leave. All of a sudden, she takes her left hand, puts it over my heart, and said, all is well. Well, I open my eyes, and I go, Mike, Odile, nobody speak. I just met my soulmate, and I'll never be with another woman until I meet her. And Odile can tell you, I like having women around. (laughs) I didn't know that was the beginning of an awakening. And in the next three days, I got messages, one on a TV show, one in a movie, and one actually at an AA meeting. And the one at the AA meeting, the guy was a riveting speaker. And he really got my attention at the end. He said, you know, I recently heard a quote from Muhammad Ali. So now I'm leaning in. And the quote was, we all know, it's service to others is our rent for being on the planet. And I knew the rest of my life would be to serve. I didn't know how. Yeah. I didn't know how. And off I went. Got out of rehab, got very active in AA, very, very active. Still had the agency. Uh, my clients and staff were so happy I was clean and amused by the journey because now I wake up, I go to see, let's say I knew O'Teal for 10 years and we only talk music and all of a sudden I say, hi, O'Teal. He goes, do you meditate? Like all the, the conversations with old friends changed and there was a new friend every day. And this friend would say, oh, you know who's coming to New York? <clears throat> Amma, the saint from India. Do you know who she is? I said, yeah. She's, they talk about her all the time. She's hugged 50 million people. You guys know her? I don't. I don't think Amma. A double M A. She transmits uh, divine energy with a hug. Javits Center, fifty thousand people on a weekend. Fifty thousand. Oh, and I, I go there and I go on stage and they say, "Don't say anything. Just she'll hug you." And that's it. So she hugs me. She had a nice, sweet, idyllic smile. I think nothing of it. I go to get off the stage and the swamis are going, "Get down!" So. You know, you feel so out of place. What are you doing in a place like this? Hugging you. So I just go down to not attract attention to myself. And halfway to sit down, I grabbed the ground. I was almost fell. It was the highest I've ever been. Now, when Johnny Podell says the highest I've ever been, <laughs> people pay attention. Yeah. So there, from there, I meet somebody, you know, at the Javits Center. And she says, oh, my God, I see you wearing beads. You meditate. I said, yeah, I started in rehab. She goes, let me introduce you uh, to TM. Let me take you to the David Lynch Foundation. Meet That's what I do. Bob Roth. Great. Yeah. I meet Bob Roth. Now I'm there. Then it's always a woman. Then when I'm there, I meet another woman. <laughs> she said, what's that bracelet you're wearing? I said, oh, the bracelet I bought. She goes, you studied Kabbalah? I said, no, I thought it was a cool bracelet. She said, let me introduce you to my Kabbalah teacher. And every day learning, I didn't know that we lived, you know, Kabbalah says there's two worlds, the 1% world of darkness, which is where we live, and yeah. the 99% of love. light. And we only learn about that, hear about it, and maybe experience it once we wake up. Because when I meet somebody that I'm trying to figure out where they were, or like a counselor's next wife, I said, let me ask you a question, Monica. 
do you believe that what you see, hear, smell, touch, and feel is all there is? Okay, confusing question. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, do you think there's anything more than what you taste, smell, hear? Your five senses, she goes, well, no. She goes, well, maybe. I said, well, that's a good answer. What if I told you there was more than you could ever imagine? And that we're stuck in this. And we can evolve into that. And anyway, so every day, I just didn't want my life to end. My light at that time was so bright, and this is the least humble thing I've ever said. I was the most attractive person in New York City. I was like the Pied No, no, I was like the Pied Piper. And women throwing themselves. My friends were going, since when did you get to be a player? I was never a player. I liked having a girlfriend. I said, I said, I'm not, and I'm not dating anybody because I had made a commitment to myself. But it was crazy. I'd see a woman, my friends would go, she's with a guy. I said, it doesn't matter. I sit at the table. She's giving me another. The guy says, can we stay in touch? Is my, I mean, my light <laughs> was so bright. Picture somebody whose light was so bright that everybody wanted to know him. Yeah. So what happens? It's the most beautiful 14 months of my life. I don't want any day to end. I'm like filled with new things. I'm learning multi-dimensions. I mean, I didn't even know any of this existed. And then it's, uh, so that I went to rehab March 2012. I'll finish this in a second. Take, and, your, time. Um, Take your time, dude. This and, is great. Um, so March 2012, uh, that was the week. My sober day, that's also my birthday. That was also uh, my awakening, the day of that vision. And it was 14 months later on Father's Day weekend. And usually my daughter and her children take me out for lunch. My son wants all day and all night. But Friday night, I had to see a client, Cindy Lauper, in Los Angeles at the Greek Theater. I came back Saturday, had lunch with Brittany and her kids, and Sunday spent all day with Cassie. And... Um, so at 7 o'clock, we're in the East Village because then he said, Dad, who are all these people, your new friends? Like, where do you hang out? I said, come along, because I had made my home the East Village. Yeah. And uh, 7 o'clock, he says, what do you want to do now? I said, you don't want to get rid of me? He said, no, no, let's, I know a sushi place. Go to a sushi place. We're eating. I look up, and I see a woman, uh, did not want to be seen. Hoodie, no makeup, headphones, a bag of sushi. The last person she wanted to talk to was moi. But she was very attractive. She had amazing long legs. And I said to Cassidy, she got to be a runner. Look at those legs. He said, how do you know? Now, by now, I was so bold. The first rule you know as a man, you don't get in a woman's space. I went up to her like she, she could feel me breathe. And she looks up. And instead of going, what do you want, which would be New York, I go like this, one question. I said, those legs, that butt. You're right. And she threw me. All oh, my cockiness are malicious. No, actually, I'm a boxer. Like, I was expecting that answer. I go, uh, bah, bah. I said, oh, um, um, my name's Johnny. Can I ask your name? I don't know what to say. Wow. My name's Allie. I said, Allie, this is so interesting. My hero, my idol, my moral compass is also a boxer. His name is also Allie. Muhammad Ali. She later told me when she left, we made a date, and she also told me later, I thought it was a good line. She said, until I came, yeah. she said, until I came to your house and saw the museum of Muhammad Ali. Wow. Yeah. 
So anyway, she comes, we have a date. She spends the first 45 minutes telling me a wake-up story that I can only tell you when she told it to Deepak Chopra. I was there. How many wake-up stories has he heard? I watched Deepak go like this. Wow. Guy handed her a book on the street. She was at the bottom, her childhood romance, marriage, 10 years over, dead-end job. I hate New York. I hate my life. Walking home from the gym again, no makeup, nothing, didn't want to be seen. A guy says, excuse me, something drew me to you. I'm supposed to give you a book. He gave her a book. He explained to her they had coffee. It was channel literature. She didn't know channel, as she told me. This is our first date. She hasn't asked me yet. My last name, what I do for a living, or where I live. She's so excited about her story. She says, I didn't know what he was talking about. I heard the word shock, but didn't know what it was. I wasn't a spiritual seeker. I didn't even read books. I was in the fashion business. Because home that night, she opens the book. And the minute she opens the book, the room starts to breathe. And it got psychedelic. And for the next three weeks, I said I couldn't put the book down. I go to the work, subway, work. I keep going to the bathroom like I was doing coke just to read the book. I go home, the gym, the book, come home at night. I became reclusive, no dating, nothing, the book. And three weeks into that, her body started to, like we've seen in voodoo movies, like convulse, she couldn't contain the energy. And she said, I couldn't, she had a little studio in East Village. She says, I ran and outside I'm alternatively like hysterically laughing and like compulsively crying. I wound up peeing in my pants, lost a shoe, wound up in Queens. She said, I lost my mat, said I lost my mind and found God. Wow. That was the first 45 minutes of the date. And I'm going, yeah. she goes, what's your story? I said, well, my story is nothing as good as yours. Anyway, we started the date. Fuck? Can you imagine being next to that table on your first date? Yeah. Going, listen to these two. You listen to these two. So here's what happened. So every night after work, she'd come over. I worked from home. You know, I, I called it in then. My clients were just so happy and amused by the journey. And uh, this particular night, the fourth night with the guys, she says, I'm going to go to bed. I can picture it as I tell you. I'm on the couch. And I said, but Allie, and this woman started to, we, oh, and all we would do each night is tell each other the same stories. It was the most exciting thing that I've had. And I said, Allie, as she's walking, I said, that woman walked out of the water. And I said, started to cry. I said, that was you. And she goes, oh, you didn't know that? And you were on the first date. Can you imagine? What? So, Johnny, tell us about your awakening. And a better <laughs> question is, Johnny, tell us how you met your wife. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. All together. I mean, hey, man. That's, <laughs> That's unbelievable, dude. You're the hero. You win. And you want to know what it is? It's the vulnerability. That's why you're my hero. That story, man, that was incredible. That's incredible. Going through every jacket and you already cut holes in those pockets and didn't remember. <laughs> That's vulnerability right there. Like, yeah, just well, something about you gotta throw your hands up at some point and go. Yeah, I'm, when you hit bottom, if it doesn't kill you, you can't, and you stop, and you just like, okay, let's look at the truth here. You have this some sort of clarity, you know. If you can come out of the the physical part of it, you know, but that part when you're ready to like be done, you know, with the old shit. And if you get that grace, like you said, yes. it's, there's nothing like it, man. That's, that's something that I, I look for in people. I have a few questions I ask like that to like figure out where are people really at, 
you know, like. But not to judge, just to know the baseline. Just to know. But, yeah. like mine is not even spiritual. I go to people, I go, hey, um, if you had $40 million and you didn't have to do anything, what would you do? Mm. And a lot of people, I'm surprised, don't know. Yeah. Which you know, I find a little bit sad, but I also am like, well, it's also an opportunity because you're not dead yet. So maybe you should think about it. Yeah. Right? And then, but like some people, you know, I don't even want to say any names. I don't even have to say their answers. But what they said, I was like, that person, I, I, that's, that's for me right there. Because that's a hard answer, right? You know, if you didn't have to do anything, you would do something involved with your heart, you know, giving somehow, you know. You know, and the thing too, Johnny, that story, like when you open yourself, when you're that, when you're there, other people start to, you start to see the people that are living in that other realm. They seem to like pop out a little bit more at you and you're able to like, that's the thing that you were talking about that I was like really kind of stoked to hear was that like, that does happen. That's how O'Teal and I met. And that's just how like the people that you find that bring you up, you know what I mean? That make you want to learn more and challenge yourself and stuff. Those are the people, man. Those are the ones that at the bot, at, like at your loneliest, they're the ones that appear. Those are the friends. Like that's the real shit right there. And that's so wild that like once you opened yourself up. Oh no, I'm, I'll tell you what I didn't wild, man. is how at beginning, when you leave rehab, they say, go see all your doctors. We're not your doctors. Go, you know, see your trainer. Go see everybody. Let them give you a clean bill of health before you take the same medicine, before you work out, before. So I said, I'll treat myself to a facial. Cindy Lauper once says at Christmas present bought me, you know, a stupid amount of money facial. The stars go there. And I've been going, I treat myself once or twice a year. It's just a, a luxury that really you shouldn't spend your money on. And she's, uh, you know, she's a facialist to the stars. And she would always talk to me about, oh, did you see a guy? I just went down the steps. Brad Pitt's coming up later. And I would never say anything because she was sweet. But I'm thinking, like, I'm in this business. Like, it seems so superficial because I'm a guy that's never hung a gold or platinum record yet on my wall. Ever. Wow. Ever. Ever. Music was my career. My business. It wasn't my life. Yeah. Hmm. And so, and I know everybody has two businesses, their own and mine and O'Teal's. That's all everybody wants to know. So something in me, I had this good instinct. Somebody said, how have you been successful? I said, I don't even, my daughter always goes, how is it conceivable you're successful? You have no discipline. You have no skill set. You don't even know what you're talking about. I said, I got good instincts. And one instinct told me, don't put up your first two gold records. And I think in reflection, I knew if people would come in, what else would we talk about? And then I'd never have a moment to discover Johnny. But I wasn't that deep then. That's what I'm saying. It was just instinct and God's grace. So on this day, I go to Tracy's to get the facial. And the first thing she sees, I'm wearing beads. She said, oh, she, I said, she goes, how are you? I said, well, to be honest, I said, I'm sure you noticed the last two years. I wasn't exactly myself. <laughs> to be honest, I never even noticed <laughs> She should wake up. And I said, anyway, I went to rehab and I'm out. And then she goes, um, what's the necklace for? This was my first stop before I knew anything. So I said, I don't know. I just like the necklace. She goes, no, that's, that's a, a meditation. There's 108 beads. 
I said, oh, yeah, they told me to meditate. She goes, oh, my God, you got to come to my ashram. You got to meet this. That, she's the one that started me on that journey. Now, what changed? Did yeah. Tracy change in the 30 days I was away? Yeah. Or there's a saying I love. We don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Yeah. That's so maybe yeah, that's I was awesome. that superficial guy. Maybe I was talking about all that nonsense. So she would match the nonsense. Mm. When mm -hmm. I kind of told her about my awakening, I guess that's the guy. But isn't that crazy? That's amazing. <laughs> but it's like it, it happens like that because I look at it like you're tuning into a different radio station. Like whatever frequency you tune into, that's where the resonance is and that's what builds yeah. up. And then when you tune on to this other frequency, it's like all of a sudden you're seeing other things because that's what you're tuned into and other things are coming to you. Like it's, oh, yeah, you're on the mute. 1,000%. You know, when I was doing drugs, everybody did drugs. So let's say I officially stopped doing drugs, those fun drugs, if you call them fun, uh, more than 30 years ago. People would say over the last 30 years, they'd say it must be so hard staying clean in the music business. I said, you know what? This was as of, as of that trip to rehab, which really was more about pain meds and that slippery stuff. I said, you know, I've been back 30 years. Nobody's ever offered me a drug. So isn't that funny? <laughs> what you are, you attract. When yeah. I was taking drugs, I mean, every person would just look at me and go like this. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> we know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. Now people go like this. Ama, I go, yeah, Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> wow. TM, really was TM something that uh, right away you, you took to? I tried a lot of meditations for like, uh, I just got a wheel of, the minute my ass hits the couch, my brain's already like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what do you think you're doing relaxing? You, you know how much you haven't accomplished yet? Get up. There's no, there's no resting. And I would literally have to physically stand up and be like, okay, what didn't I do? And it's, I'm doing things over that I didn't do good enough. And meditation. I mean, this was pre-meditation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this was my whole life. Um, but, uh, you know, self-medicating and whatever. It, it was a driver to help me with my comedy career for sure. Because I was never sad. If I looked at the calendar and 28 dates had gigs, but two didn't. I'm like, how am I? Those were the only two I saw. You know what I mean? So it was call every booker, call anybody I can open for, do whatever I had to do. So it helped me with my career, but I hated myself and everything. But meditating, doing TM after medit failed meditation after failed meditation, that was the first one where instantly I was like deep. And I felt like being taught and, and, you know, that guidance all the way to today doing the call in, you know, like TMs. I, I, it's, it's helped me so much to actually remember that I could just locate that place that's always right here if I need to get it, you know? It was just a lifesaver for me. Great. Yeah. Did yeah, it hit you? Did it work for you? Ralph on here, right? Yeah, I want to get Bob on the podcast for sure. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWolf. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. 
because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Did, did, did it like, did it, did you take to it right away? Well, I took to meditation right away. Oh, okay. I couldn't. I took the meditation. When I got out of rehab, what I did is, because um, you're only in there like a couple of weeks, I, um, I would get up, right? I'm <laughs> living alone now. I'm not paranoid. The cops aren't living with me anymore. And I get up, have my coffee. You're supposed to do all this before the coffee. I do not know how to do anything before coffee. Uh, I'd go into the living room. I'd light my incense. I'd sit in the same chair. And I'd meditate. And I had no specific way. But I was taught in rehab a good thing to do after you uh, meditate is draw a pie chart and try to remember what draw, like what piece was about what. So usually I finish it and I try to remember what I thought about, meaning I, was, I didn't have the mantra-based meditation. Okay. I wasn't meditating about, oh, how many uh, apples are in the orchard. I just would sure. try to be quiet. And I find love, gratitude. Now, that could have been consciously, Johnny, that's good to write down on paper. I don't know. But I was loving it. And then what I did, and I try to teach people, you know, it's scary to people 20 minutes with your eyes closed. My daughter said that I don't sleep with my eyes closed, you're asking me. <laughs> so what I did, just like when I learned how to withdraw from drugs on my own another time, incremental. So I did five minutes a day for four days. Then I graduated to six minutes a day, not the 10. I worked my way up to 20 steps. And it never was scary. Yeah. I never was itchy. You know, even like Bob Ruggles said, there are times you're sitting there going like, uh, oh, I got to tell you the funniest Bob Ross story. You're going to love this. <laughs> Can I tell you? you? You both know Russell Brand? Yeah. Yeah. My tagline is consciousness is the new rock and roll. If consciousness is the new rock and roll, there's your rock and roll star. Yeah. Anyway, I always dreamt of meeting Russell Brand, of hanging. And I'll tell you, you would think that I would know how to do that, right? Yeah, I would. No. <laughs> like, that's, that's somebody that, you know, you look at and go, damn, like, I wish I was that. You know what I mean? Like, cool. Anyway. So Bob Roth calls one day and goes, okay. We're doing a thing at the Paley Center, very fancy center. Is it next to the Museum of Modern Art? It's a fancy schmancy little yeah, theater, yeah. Steve A. Paley Center. And uh, he goes, you're on the panel. It's you, Russell. I said, you're kidding. Oh, he said, you're going to meet Russell. I said, oh, that's so great. What do I do? You show up. You're on the same panel. I said, ah, oh, that's great. Right away, my ego's going, I wonder who's going to close. No, no, seriously. <laughs> So I get there, so excited. I put on my spiritual makeup, my spiritual jewelry. I'm like pumped. Forget women. I'm meeting Russell Brand. <laughs> I get there. I find out Russell canceled. He's doing a video. Now, why he canceled made me love him even more. He had a new girlfriend, and he didn't want to get out of bed and fly to New York. I said, 
my man. <laughs> so what happens? Russell Brand video, hysterical, maniacal, can't keep up with him, brilliant. I mean, impossible to keep up with and smarter than all of us. And he's taking Bob shot here, this shot, and that crazy, right? Like, anyway, he's done. And all of a sudden, Bob Ross says, thank you, Russell. And then he says, our next guest, and I'm going, no, no. <laughs> he says, my next guest is a friend of mine and a very famous uh, rock and roll, whatever, whatever. Represent, same kind of thing you're going to say, represent the likes, whatever. He goes, let me introduce Johnny Podell. And I go, thank you, Bob. And thanks, everybody. I said, but before I even start, can you imagine what that was like before he knew how to meditate? <laughs> I got the same kind of laugh you just gave me. Once I get that laugh, I'm on. Good. I'm on. I think yeah. I actually got Killed it. it. Kill the opener and you're good. Mike, go. you know that. Once you get that first one, right? And you That's have a backup to your opening lines, right? Of course. Yeah, my Absolutely. opening line at every talk was, hi, everybody. You know, this is Johnny Padel, rock and roll legend. Blah, 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 blah. And I get up and I go, hi, everybody. My name is Johnny, and I'm a drug addict, alcoholic. Laugh, laugh, laugh. <laughs> then I'm gone. One day, my first client, because I, I converted my agency to represent spiritual people, writers, teachers, healers, and the guy that wrote the book that channeled literature that woke up my wife, I am the word, he became my client. So what, one day, really? Yeah. One day, he became my first client, but he wasn't the rock star. You know, Russell's yeah. the boxer. So one day he's doing a book uh, signing at Namaste Bookshop on 14th Street in Manhattan. Manhattan. A little cheesy of a name, Namaste Bookshop, but okay. <laughs> um, and we walk in, place is packed, maybe like 60 chairs, packed. And so I'm sitting there with him. I think my wife was there and Paul. And all of a sudden Paul says, and these are very serious looking people. Nobody's smiling. And Paul says, so what should I do? Should I just start? Or you want to introduce me? I said, no, I'll introduce you. So I get up and I go, hi, everybody. My name is Johnny. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. No laugh. Mike, you've had that happen. 60 <laughs> people. Times. 60 people gone. Dead fucking silence. I didn't have a backup. My backup was, um, so uh, uh, thank you uh, for coming. Uh, uh, let me just <laughs> Uh oh. What what do you do when your opener fails? What did Mike? What did Michael Jordan say? It's the shots you don't take, or something like no, that. No, he said in my career, I've lost. I've taken. 12, 16,280 shots. I've lost 162 games and 47 times I was given the ball in the final second, take the final shot. I fell and I fell and I fell. That's why I succeed. Mm, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And can I tell you one more story? Absolutely. I would be remiss. So Muhammad Ali came to me. I don't know if you know this, Othiel. I was like the hot young kid, agent was a suit and tie business, to some extent still is, and along came this, rock and roll Johnny, living the lifestyle, looking the part, taking the same drugs, sleeping with the same women, staying out all night, but when they'd go to bed, I'd go to work, and I had it. And I was like the guy, because I stood out, my eccentricity, and I, most people would tell you that I was pretty good at my job. 
So I'm about in my third year. I had already left an agency and started a company called BMF, which was called Bad Motherfucker. That was my company. And we all had T-shirts. I had the first tour jacket. First tour jacket ever was BMF. And I did a limited edition. There were only 30, so it became the thing. If you go on eBay, I'm curious, like, what they cost. Uh, I remember starting the Who and the Rolling Stones manager saw another jacket. And it turned out it was Alice Coombs manager. He tapped him on the shoulder. He goes, you must know Johnny. Like, it was a big thing, BMF, right? And I opened up this company, and uh, I'm the hot young thing. My first four clients were... Allman Brothers, Alice Cooper, Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young, and George Harrison. I'm 25. I married the girl of my dreams. I bought a, I bought such a, a Rolls Royce that was so big, you could stand in it. And I was living the life, you know? I was living the life, very full of myself, but not a bad guy. Like, I, even then, I believed in a higher power. The problem was then I thought I was it. <laughs> that was the problem. <laughs> So I get a call one day. So by now, we're invited to every party, Andy Warhol. I mean, you name it, we're at the party, Monica and Johnny. And one day I get a call. And I go, Hello, Mr. Puddle, this is Bob Arum. Do you know who I am? And I go, yeah. Yeah. Muhammad Ali. Yes. Right away. My, um, yeah. Um, he said, <laughs> as you may know, Mr. Ali has lost his right to fight. I went, hold on one second, my wife is texting. <laughs> I said, could you not bother me during the podcast? She goes, yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so he says he has no money. He has a lot of legal fees. He didn't even know I was a fan, although I never thought about that. Is that, yeah, had he heard that? Interesting. After I get off, I got to think. But I guess because I had represented the likes of Alice Cooper, nobody had ever seen that before, you know, makeup, et cetera. So he said, I was wondering if you could meet with us and maybe figure out a way for Muhammad to make some money. So, of course, I'm like, come up with some scheme or the Madison Square Garden. Anyway, I give him my pitch. First of all, he walks in. And at that time, white America refused to call him Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Cash is play. Yep. And if they could have, it would have been Cassius Clay nigga, if they could have. So, right. You know what I mean? Uh, they did. <laughs> they did. So I get up and I go, hello, Mr. Ali. Now, I'm somebody that by now has met every movie. So Mom, it was so great to meet you. Sir, you have no idea. I've been waiting. Like, you don't even know. I have followed every quote, every fight, everything since you were 16. I'm telling him his life story and he's trying to get rid of it. <laughs> so he sits down I give him the spiel I give him the spiel uh, what's his name Aram looks at Muhammad Muhammad looks at Aram we go good so Aram says uh, we're in we love it um, what do you charge I said the usual 10% he said of the net right I said no 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 we take 10% of the gross he goes well, we only pay 10% of the net. I'm already picturing the entourages that come with the fighter. There yeah. can't be any net. Yeah. <laughs> we got 190 people that just walk into the ring with them. So I, in my cocaine by now, fueled arrogance, and my four huge rock stars, huge Rolls Royce, most beautiful woman in the world, I have the nerve to say to my idol, I said, well, then I'm sorry. I said, because in this office, the net only counts in basketball and hockey 
Wow. This is going to be my second book called Dumb Shit I've Said Along the Way. (laughs) Man. So there's no deal. (laughs) Wouldn't I rather be bragging to you that he was my friend? There was no deal. And I said, Muhammad, before you leave, can I ask you a question? And the story I'm about to tell you changed my life and it may change yours. It's changed everybody whose story I've told it to. So I said, I recently read an article in Time Magazine. You were circling, you were the writer, and you were circling over the D.C. airport. I guess it was bad weather. And all of a sudden, you open the windows. You go, look at that. Look at that. Wherever there's a light, they know me. I'm so famous. Wherever there's a light, every home, every store, every factory, everywhere there's a light, not only in New York, in Los Angeles, in Boston, in Paris, in Switzerland, even in Botswana, there's no electricity. Open a tent, there's a picture of me. I am the most famous. I am the greatest. And I looked at Ali and I said, I buy it. I said, I buy the whole thing. So here is my question. What does it feel like to be the most famous man in the world and to be the greatest of all time? He does a panoramic sweep of my office where the gold and platinum records were. And he said, well, you obviously know what it's like to be on top. And he leaned in like Bill Graham and he said, but the measure of the man is, what do you do when you get knocked on your ass? And I never forgot that. And I sometimes think in my days when, of my bottom, when I remember getting up after a three-day binge and getting busted again, Sitting there going, I just can't. I don't think I can do this. I don't know what that meant. Did that mean I was contemplating suicide? I just, I remember saying, I wonder if those words somehow seeped into my consciousness. It's not about being on top. So what do you do when you get knocked on your ass? So now the name of my book, what do you think it is? The greatest story ever told. And the reason I came up with that title, because I figured if I don't, Kanye will. So the greatest story of the world, <laughs> dot, 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 what do you do when you get knocked on your ass? It's yeah. pretty incredible, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I, I think that that's the one thing that we're guaranteed other than that we die, right? One day we do get knocked on our ass. And that's no interesting. No never been on top forever. If a Zoom mitzvah, my daughter goes, <laughs> Zoom mitzvah. Dad, I'm giving you three months notice. You ought to get dressed properly. You're going to be on camera. I said, yeah. She said, no, don't yeah, yeah me. No hats. No your outfits. That. I said, no, no, I got it. Two months later. Dad, suit. I said, I got it. Shoot that. And a tie. Suit, white shirt, and a tie. Copy that? I said, yeah, it calls me every week. I didn't have a tie. I had to write. <laughs> I live upstate New York. I had to write to everybody. I said, does anybody have a tie? And nobody had a tie up. <laughs> I pieced together an outfit. And when it was my turn, she said, and you only got two minutes and don't do anything off color and don't do anything controversial. Which left me with no repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> you said, my name is Johnny and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. <laughs> she would have. Cut off my you-know-what, by the way. <laughs> but instead, I wished him everything. Health, happiness, joy, and a beautiful life. And then I said, but I'm going to, this is what I give you. And I told that story. Wow. And I That's said, amazing, because man. Eric, I said, because Hudson, I can tell you only one thing. You will fall on your ass. Yeah. And it's what you do when you fall on your ass. 
that will be the legacy you will pass down to your son and your grandson. And that was well received. Even my daughter and all her friends, they all got that. She said, Dad, of course, you're the only person that ever said the word ass at a bar mitzvah. I said, <laughs> it could have been worse, dude. It could have been, been worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's the same little girl when she got to be six. My ex-wife looked at me and says, she's asking what BMF stands for because we had all the teeth. I said, um, uh, she said, Daddy, what is BMF? I said, um, um, be my friend. Be my friend. Music. <laughs> That's incredible. Dude, I mean – you have to come back on again yeah, and talk man. more with us. I mean, this is just the beginning. I like how we started it at a later part of the, of the, of your book of life though. Do you know what I mean? Next time I want to hear about like what got you started. I am fascinated always with the people who uh, like Kerouac said, you know, like the, the mad people and the ones that are following their, you know, bliss instead of doing the, you know, I found comedy later in life but I worked a million shit jobs that I hated getting up every morning. And then that made me appreciate comedy more. I'm interested in what gets people going on the path that you went. You know what I mean? Like having those four clients first, I mean, that's insane. Can I tell you something? I'd be honored. I can't wait. I'm going to tell you something. And this, I swear on my life, whatever's holy, I'm swearing on. I've never felt like this in an interview. I was going to tell you that right after the first 10 minutes. Something about you guys. I mean, I'm generally a pretty open guy. I generally don't have secrets. Um, that's me. That's Johnny. But even now, I'm having a... Um, even when I told that story about, you know, going to rehab, I've told it a million times. Um, I don't know if it's your hearts, your spirit. Um, I mean, I'm feel, I, wish you, I, I wish I could transmit in words what I'm feeling right now. I'm, I'm having a real, um, I'm dizzy. I'm having a real emotional experience. And, um, yeah. you know, I love to have this a conversation. You know, my daughter and I, uh, I love my daughter. You know, at, at one point I could say I love my daughter more than any human being on the planet at that time. And as you grow older, you know, we, we, we travel different paths. And um, one day I was telling her I was annoyed at somebody. She goes, Dad, he's been your best friend for 20 I said, yeah, but Brittany never wants to talk about anything. She says, Dad, not everybody wants to have intimate conversations. I don't. I said, and I accept, but I do. <laughs> so thank you. Thank for you, man. Extremely intimate. I mean, I'm going to cry. Don't, don't pressure yourself to find the words. I think the feeling's mutual over here, man. This is, it's, it's a, it's a, that's how we met. We had the same feeling when we met, man. We I, had I, this I, vulnerable, available, like, thing. And it was like a true bromance. You know what I mean? But it's just, and so I'm, I'm thrilled that we're getting this, like, a 
three-way going now. I think we've got we're attracting this thing. It's great. This it's is wild. And you know what's great about it? Because of COVID, it's been a long time since I've been involved in a threesome. So this is <laughs> and this is the only type, uh, only virtual. I'm not getting anywhere near you in that fucking hat, dude. I'm sorry. That'll, that'll be the next podcast, <laughs> Seriously, we would love to have you back. There's been some guests that we've had, a few, that we're like, we kind of need to do like a regular segment. Like, you know, I don't know, bi-monthly or so. I don't I know. I mean, would we just would, – would we, we heard three stories. We heard three stories. I want to hear 30 more, dude. I mean, that was incredible. Well, uh, that was unbelievable. You. We have to have you back. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Just tell me when. We will. Right. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll hit you up, man. Thank you for – that was just everything that I hoped it would be, man. Everything. <laughs> Stories about grace. I'll never tire of it. I'll yeah. never tire of these moments of grace that are the pivot of our entire life. You know, they're before and after stories. That stuff is real. And don't let anybody tell you, man. If you hit bottom, reach out to whatever. Reach out. That's how I found it. That's how Mike found it. That's how you, you know, like, and it'll happen. It's like, it is magic. It is love. It's grace. It's real. I'm so, I believe it with every fiber of my being, man. You know, and and, and the that. thing that brings people together too, the fact that we find each other and talk about this now, it's what people need. We're getting messages, Johnny, from listeners that are like, yeah. this is what we like, just thank, they're just like flat out two words, like, thank you. You know what I mean? And that means more than anything. Cause it means that they're, they're taking from you and they're taking from Bob Weir and Mickey and all the people that we talk to and Bob Roth and Bob Roth soon to be. Yes. Can't wait. But thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. We love you, Johnny. My pleasure. <laughs> love you back. And I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Right, Just thank that you. family for me. As I say to my son every morning, Namaste. Namaste. Namaste, brother. Thank you, thank you everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll be back with you next week. Peace. On the dreams, still it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.